This is Recorded Future, Inside Threat Intelligence for Cybersecurity. Hello, everyone, and thanks for joining us for Episode 45 of the Recorded Future podcast. I'm Dave Bittner from the CyberWire. Our guest today is Michael Ray. He's a threat intelligence professional currently working at McAfee. He's got prior experience in the U.S. Navy, serving at sea and at shore, including positions at Cyber Command and NSA. We'll discuss his career, how threat intelligence differs between the military and the private sector, and why it's valuable to formalize the management of your threat intelligence requirements, how best to do that, and how that helps make IT teams more effective. Stay with us. So I spent the better part of eight years on active duty in the U.S. Navy. I served in a variety of intelligence roles, both ashore and afloat. I got my crack in intelligence on USS Pelu, who is a now decommissioned amphibious assault ship, um, where I did uh, geospatial intelligence analysis, um, looking at pretty satellite pictures, essentially, and doing sort of all-source intelligence fusion analysis and production for um, tactical and operational level leadership in support of maritime security operations, counter piracy, and humanitarian assistance efforts. And then in 2012, I left the Peleliu to go to Fort Meade. And from there, I did the ping pong back and forth between Cyber Command proper and NSA. I spent about a year on the Cyber Command Joint Operations Center watch floor doing indications and warning analysis in support of senior Cyber Command leadership. I got to work on a joint Cyber Command NSA project that I can't talk too much about. And then my last portion of time at the fort, I was on one of the Cyber National Mission Force teams. I see. Now, when you were coming up, when you were growing up, was this uh, something that was an interest of yours when you when you uh, joined the Navy, is this something, an area you knew you wanted to pursue? No, actually. So, I, I mean, I grew up with computers. I think my first one I got was at age five with a Mac 7100 or something like that. And coincidentally enough, I haven't touched a Mac since middle school. But no, I never really thought about intelligence as a field or even more specifically the whole sort of computer IT field. I accidentally fell into intelligence proper before I joined the military. I was studying Chinese studies mm. in California, and I had originally joined the military with the intent on being a linguist. But we all know how military, military recruitment goes, and they never took me to take the D-Lab. And then my time to start processing into the service came up, and it's like, well, you can do intel. And it's like, that sounds great. What's that? And they're like, I don't know. It's like, okay, I'll do it. And then that's just kind of how I started my intelligence career from there. Let's talk about uh, threat intelligence and the the, the role that that plays uh, for the work that you've done and and what you're doing today. Yeah, so I think it's really interesting to see this sort of private sector intelligence discipline arise in the last few years. And I know there's been some portion of that in the more physical security space, um, personnel security and things like that. But since probably around like 2012, 2013, the cyber-focused intelligence discipline on outside of government has been something pretty interesting to watch. Still, I don't think it's necessarily understood by a lot of people who are starting to integrate those sort of capabilities in their environment. Um, But I think in the right organization and with the right sort of buy-in with those senior leadership roles within those companies, I think threat intelligence at large can help reduce risk to the organization, help inform decision makers to make the 
best decisions possible with the information provided and to help sort of put a more human face behind those who are trying to break into your network. And one of the points that you make is that it's uh, important to have a formal intelligence requirements management uh, when approaching threat intelligence. Can you take us through the rationale there? Much like any sort of concerted effort, you want to have clear guidelines about what you're trying to achieve, establish at the onset. That way you we know what the goalposts are. You have some sort of tangible agreement between what you're supposed to be doing with your intelligence customers. And then that way it helps set expectations on the onset so both parties understand what they're producing and what they're receiving. That way there's no miscommunication or misplaced expectations on the hands of the intelligence professionals doing the day-to-day work. And then through that sort of requirements process, it helps give those senior leadership personnel or those other organizations that you're working with gain a sense of ownership with the intelligence process. I find that those organizations who are more or less separated logically and physically from their intelligence functions see it as a more abstract concept, one that they don't necessarily see the immediate relevancy to the organization. Sometimes organizations will say, hey, that company over there has a threat intelligence team. I must have one now. And then we all know how corporations like to go buy things or people in order to start getting a capability to help get ahead of their competitors. But without that sort of clear planning, vision setting on the onset, you can not only stymie the good work that the people you bring on do, but also not necessarily get the return on investment that you're looking to achieve out of integrating threat intelligence in your organization. So what would be your advice for someone if they're thinking about uh, spinning up a threat intelligence team? What is your uh, tips on how to go about doing that? So largely, I would say that identify the use cases for intelligence that you think will be the easiest to integrate, the easiest to align personnel resources to, and the ones that are achievable with internal data sets and tools that you can at the onset Um, I wouldn't worry about too much about trying to get the most expensive, awesome threat intel tool, but to try to find the right people. And that can come from a variety of different backgrounds, be it the more technical focus from your traditional network security arenas or look more towards soft skills or those who have traditional all-source intelligence backgrounds. I can help sort of paint that bigger picture from a risk profile perspective. And uh, start small. Don't try and do everything at once. Establish clear um, goalposts and have a a more gradual crawl, walk, run sort of sequence and not try and throw the kitchen sink at it at the onset. Throughout cybersecurity, we're seeing the market get more and more crowded. Do you have any advice for people how to sort of break through the noise and, and know the right questions to ask to make sure that they're getting the services and products that are legit? Yeah. um, So I think, at least from a threat intelligence discipline perspective, I think we're starting to make headway trying to separate the fact that indicators of compromise aren't intelligence in and of themselves. I know for the last maybe three to four years, that was one of the biggest hurdles and misconceptions about what threat intel is and what it looks like. And I think with the shift away from specifically relying on IOCs writ, writ large, and almost at the exclusion of more traditional intelligence products, I think that kind of helps 
change the narrative of what intelligence can look like and that it isn't just something that you can plug into a machine and it makes fancy alerts in a sim somewhere. But also know what specific intelligence questions you're looking to get answered. Not everyone will have the same benefit from collection from the underground cyber criminal markets depending on what sort of technologies you have in your organization, um, specific vulnerability intelligence vendors may or may not be of particular use to you. Nation state groups may not always be what you are most worried about and that what keeps you up at night. Um, so just being able to set reasonable expectations about what your organization's threat profile looks like can help drive what sort of tools and capabilities and data sources that you need and try to not get caught up with the marketing and PR hypes of a lot of the vendors out there and just focus on your specific use cases and start driving acquisition efforts toward those. We often speak about this idea of turning information into intelligence and the human factor that goes along with that. Do you have any thoughts on that that sort of combination of, of being able to use automation to manage you know the fire hose of information that comes in, but then combining that with that intuition that uh, that only humans have so far? Right. So I think it's a definitely it's definitely a balancing act that I think we as a community need to take a hard and fast look at. I think with the drive toward a lot of security automation and orchestration, I think the intentions are well placed there. But I don't think relying too much on that sort of automation. And I think machine learning and the AI bubble sort of plays into that. But ultimately, at the end of the day, intelligence isn't something that can be done by a machine. At best, it's something that will help wrangle the data in a way that's useful for an analyst to sit down, take a look at, and start deriving their conclusions based off something that's been sort of pre-processed or pre-collated and, and sort of analyzed at a first-level layer from a machine perspective. But ultimately, it's a human-driven process, and from there, we as analysts can help derive those sort of analytic conclusions and help provide policy or operational recommendations to those stakeholders at the end of the day. Can you contrast the sorts of uh, threat intelligence that you used in your government positions um, with what you see today and make use of in the private sector? So, I mean, I think the difference between the public and private sector threat intel space is the audience in which you're trying to engage with and the extent of the decisions you're trying to influence. So in in government, you have the potential to influence national and international policy, whereas if you're in the private sector, you're only looking at maybe a, a more micro-organizational level, even if that organization operates with a global footprint. I mean, I think ultimately it's just about the level of impact that you'll have well, with the conclusions that you derive from your analysis and what you're recommending to the specific customers of intelligence at the national level that could change the outcome of national or international events. Whereas in the private sector, it's a lot more narrowly focused. And even if it's a global company, you're only going to be affecting what's best internally or help drive some small changes potentially in the way that the organization does business, so to speak. It's just a different approach and mentality for what sort of recommendations and action items that you're trying to give those customers at the end of the day. That sort of makes a difference. The, the process of doing the collection analysis is more or less the same. The government just has a lot more legal leeway to get all the fun, different types of data that they can. I see. You know, you mentioned earlier about um, companies at, at the high level maybe not having a complete understanding of threat intelligence and, and how it helps them manage their risk and so forth. 
What do you think it, it's going to take to bridge that gap, to translate that information so that people in the boardroom get what threat intelligence people are up to? Yeah, so I think that's it's an interesting question. It's one that I, I think about quite a bit, but I think it takes a concerted effort from both the intelligence team within the organization to have sort of the organizational visibility to have a more clear and direct communication line with that senior level leadership and engage them in the process to where we're not getting wrapped up in the jargon of the discipline, but translating it to more business palpable terms, um, something that you don't have to spend two to three hours explaining. You just switch the language that you're using and then be able to connect and sort of build a bridge with your customers. And I think it's also imperative that those Intel teams help manage the fear, uncertainty of doubt about the, the risk profile that the company has. Do you find that there are some common misunderstandings about threat intelligence that uh, you know you wish you could help people understand better? Yeah, so I think one of the biggest misconceptions that persists within the private threat intel discipline is that other technical skills within digital forensics incident response, such as malware analysis, host or network forensics, are intelligence analysis skills in and of themselves. And I think that while a lot of the public reporting on malware, actor camps, and things like that that focus on that technical detail sort of paint a misconception that those are intelligence analysis skills. So people who possess those are automatically able to do intelligence work. Hmm. And I think that's a bad misconception for a variety of reasons. One, I think, is that it sort of diminishes this sort of more strategic and more soft analysis of the threat. I think that there's a perception that intelligence reporting that isn't technical isn't of use. And I think that just comes from a misunderstanding of what true intelligence analysis looks like, um, what are the analytic processes and rigor that goes through that production cycle, and that I think a lot of organizations and people are still struggling to figure out how to take action on something that isn't, hey, block this hash or blacklist this IP or something like that. And I think helping to bridge that sort of broad level misconception about what threat intelligence is will go a long way in helping organizations understand and reduce their risk profiles and then help stop the bad guys. Our thanks to Michael Ray from McAfee for joining us. Don't forget to sign up for the Recorded Future Cyber Daily email, where every day you'll receive the top results for trending technical indicators that are crossing the web. Cyber news, targeted industries, threat actors, exploited vulnerabilities, malware, suspicious IP addresses, and much more. You can find that at recordedfuture.com slash intel. We hope you've enjoyed the show and that you'll subscribe and help spread the word among your colleagues and online. The Recorded Future podcast team includes coordinating producer Amanda McKeown, executive producer Greg Barrett. The show is produced by Pratt Street Media with editor John Petrick, executive producer Peter Kilpie, and I'm Dave Bittner. Thanks for listening. Thank you.